From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, smoke gets in your eyes. These people complained a lot, but when I checked, I mean, they weren't dry. They weren't really dry, you know, and um, then we found out that there was significant lipid layer changes. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dilek Dursen Altenors declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of A Scene From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I've put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. We've known of the systemic pathologies associated with smoking for a long time. But as Jerome Kern and Otto Harbach told us back in 1933, smoke also does get in your eyes. In program number 13 of A Scene From Here, Jennifer Evans described the strong association between smoking and macular degeneration. Today, we'll hear from Dilek Dursen Altenors about the effect that tobacco smoke has on the tear layer. Dilek, what is in smoke? Well, actually, we do not know very well what, uh, what is inside smoke, but as far as we know, there are some materials that damage the ocular surface, and we know that these are some oxidating materials that cause damage on the surface. And... There are some heavy metals, as far as we know. There are some free radical species, you know, in the cigarette tar. And on the gas phase, in the gas phases of it, there are some semi-kinones, which stay longer on the surface. And in, in some parts of it, there are free oxygen radicals with a short lifespan, which are toxic to the surface. What ophthalmic conditions do we know are related to smoking? Well, what we know is age-related macular degeneration, and there are some reports about cataract and graves ophthalmopathy. But, of course, uh, we know that smoking does not mainly cause these, but in these studies it's shown that it may accelerate the development of these diseases. And for those conditions, it's something that is going on systemically in the smokers. It's not just the exposure to the airborne smoke. Well, actually, as far as we studied in our uh, study, it's shown that uh, passive smokers also get get affected by the effects of smoking. Therefore, it might be direct exposure of the conjunctiva and the ocular surface to the effects of smoking, as well as some effects of smoking in molecular basis. What is the pathogenesis of the acute irritation that occurs during acute exposure to smoke, like in passive smoke? The acute effect-
effects could be related to the damage in the tear film because we know that there is a direct uh, relationship between smoke and the precorneal tear film layer. We believe that it's mainly an irritation that smoking causes on the ocular surface, but we do not know what kind of irritation that is, but probably the integrity of the tear film is damaged. That's why maybe the sensitivity of the surface is altered, and that's why the people, when people get irritated and they get itchy eyes and red eyes when they're exposed to a place that is full of smoke, I guess. Now, this study did not deal with passive or acute exposure. What, what do we know uh, about chronic exposure to smoke? Actually, this was just a clinical observation of mine. I, I realized that people who walked into the clinic in our daily lives and who smoked did not get a lot of sensitivity when I touched their surface with, you know, like a fluorescent strip or when I tried to do the Shearman test. And they usually complained of dry eyes and itchy eyes and red eyes. But on the contrary, their Shearman values, which is, you know, the measurement of the aqueous production of the eye, tear film production of the eye, was not changed. And this was just a clinical observation that I did. And then I try to search that on more people and see if this is correct. And because in order to have those symptoms, they should have less tear film production. But on the contrary, their tear production was normal, but they had dry eye symptoms. Then I realized that something else should be the reason. And also, we usually do our cataract operations by topical anesthesia. And I realized that heavy smokers do not get very well. I mean, they need less anesthesia during topical surgeries. And that was one of the reasons for me to go into this research. Can you describe the design of this study? Well, uh, the design of the study is prospective institutional clinical trial. And after this observation in the clinic, uh, we tried to enroll cigarette smokers who were, you know, heavy smokers. And uh, we were able to recruit around 60 patients. Actually, we had more because in Turkey, people smoke a lot. But, I mean, when we tried to exclude some of the patients like the ones with systemic or ocular problems, other ocular problems like MGD, which is my bone and gland disease, which had severe dry eyes or who were on systemic diseases, our number decreased to 60. Uh, but I'm sure there are many more people who can who we can do the study on. So the study was planned as a prospective clinical trial, and our control group was also recruited from the normal patient pool in the clinic. How much of these patients smoked? Our criteria was that they smoked at least one pack a day, and uh, at least around five years of heavy smoking, which is one pack a day. But the average duration of smoking was a lot longer than that. Yeah, at least, we, the, the criteria was at least five years, but the average duration of smoking was around 13.1 years. What parameters did you measure? What were your main outcome measures? We wanted to compare the subjective and the objective parameters of cigarette smokers, and we wanted to, to make this comparison with the age and sex match control group. And 
we wanted to find out how their sensitivity and tear film production changed. And we also wanted to see how the ocular surface staining was. And also, I'm interested in the missing layer of the ocular surface as well. That's why we wanted to see how the impression cytology, which means how the goblet cells of the ocular surface changed in smokers. But my main outcome measure was why was the Shermer value was normal, but these people all complained of dry eyes. And also, when I checked them in the clinic, I found out that their breakup time was always abnormal, although their Shermers were normal. One of the measures that you took involved using the DR1 tear film lipid layer interferometer. What, what is that, that, that test? I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Well, this is not a very common way of measuring the ocular surface. This is actually an interferometric device, which is developed by one of my friends, Dr. Eiki Goto in, in Tokyo. And it's mainly a light source, which is a white light source, and it's reflected by a half mirror. And then it's focused by a lens which eliminates the tear surface. And then this mirror reflects the images, the specular reflected images, from the ocular surface to a camera. And this camera produces an image on a device monitor. And there are two polarizers and quarter ray plate that eliminate the unnecessary reflected light from the lens. And then it detects only the specular light, which is reflected from the precorneal tear film. And then the lipid layer is interfered by this device, and it's reflected as a color pattern, pattern uh, which can be actually classified as uh, you know, uniform or non-uniform patterns on a camera. What the device tells you is whether the lipid layer is um, uniform or whether it's lumpy. Right, right. And also, as, as the lipid layer gets worse, there are some uh, color changes in this interferometric image. Therefore, we can also get an idea because when the grade is lower, uh, let's say when it's grade one, it's more grayish color. And when, when the grade increases, it's more colorful. There are many colors and a non-uniform distribution of the lipid layer. What were your results from this study? Well, in the smoker group, we realized that the Schirmer 1 values, which show the tear production, was not so much diminished. But in the normal group, the Schirmer 1 values were uh, almost the same. And it was not statistically significantly different from the smoker group. However, the mean breakup time was statistically significantly less in the smoker group compared to the control group. And this confirmed actually our outcome measure because we were wondering why there were dry eye symptoms in these people, although their Shirmer 1 values were normal. We also uh, measured the sensitivities, the corneal sensitivity and the conjunctival sensitivity, and they were both decreased in the smoker group compared to the non-smokers. And the lipid layer findings? Yeah, lipid layer changes were in were like higher grades in the smokers, and there were grade zero or grade one changes in the control group. So 
BR1 interferometry showed that there was lipid layer changes in the smokers. What were your findings with the impression cytology? Uh, impression cytology showed that there was not a gross difference between, there was not a statistically significant difference in the goblet cell densities in both groups, which revealed that there was not a, a major missing layer difference or missing layer damage in these patients. What do you think the mechanism is by which these changes occur? I think that if we can show maybe in the future specifically which mineral or element or which molecular element in the smoke disturbs the ocular surface, but as far as we know until now, there are some heavy metals and toxic mineral elements in smoke, and these cause lipid changes in the precorneal film layer, mainly by disturbing the oxidative mechanisms. And therefore, the integrity of the precorneal tear film is damaged. I mean, there is no change in the Schirmer 1 values, which is the tear production. Therefore, the tear production is normal in smokers. And also, by impression cytology, the mesen layer is also normal. But these elements cause mainly a damage in the lipid layer. But maybe if we check these people after 10 or 20 years, I'm sure there's going to be change. There's going to be a change in the mucin and the maybe tear production as well. But as far as we can see from this study, that smoking mainly causes lipid layer changes in the early stages of smoking, maybe we can say. One of the mechanisms you touched on in the paper is accelerated conjunctival apoptosis. If, if this is a mechanism, why do you think that goblet cells were so unaffected? This is a very good question. Actually, I think that acute smoke exposure mainly causes increase in the products of lipid peroxidation. Therefore, the first, the main part of the ocular surface that is affected is probably the lipid layer of the precorneal tear film. But since all of these are closely in interaction with each other, maybe after a while there's going to be change in the goblet cell production as well because in dry eye states, either caused by decrease in tear production or either problems in this layer or even in lipid layer, the surface gets affected by time. And the goblet cells try to repair the surface by sometimes exposing more missing products to the ocular surface and sometimes there, there is metaplasic, metaplasia in the goblet cells and this causes also uh, changes in the goblet cell layers. But I think these all mm, occur by time and probably if we check these patients in a longer follow-up period, I'm sure we're going to see changes in the goblet cells as well. So it's your sense that there's a specific interaction between smoke and the lipid layer of the tears? Yeah, from this study, this, this is what we saw, actually. So, and what we thought was probably the acceleration of the lipid peroxidation caused by smoking was the main reason for dry eye symptoms in these patients. One of the points that you make in the paper, too, is that the conjunctiva is really the only mucous membrane in the body that's continuously exposed to the outside world. Environment, right. How do these findings compare with those of other researchers? 
Well, we know that the ocular surface is the most environmentally exposed mucosal surface of the body. And there are some demographic surveys that have shown that 25 to 40% of the employees experience cigarette smoke in their direct environment, and almost one quarter of them have dry eye-related ocular symptoms. Actually, there are some studies that were done about the ocular side effects of smoking, but they were all about the precorneal tear film layer, and they were not specifically related to the lipid layer. And these studies usually correlated clinical symptoms of the patients with their ocular surface dry eye parameters like Schirmer 1 breakup time and surface staining that we also used in this study. But DR1 interferometry, which checks the lipid layer, I think is the first parameter that is done in such a study. And also there are other studies about the effects of cigarette smoking in neovascular age-related macular degeneration. And they have shown that the effects of nicotine on choroidal neovascularization lesions are reversed by a nicotinic receptor antagonist. And also, there are some studies, again, related to the tear proteins of smokers that, that increase the risk for dry eye by Gruss and associates. So this is not the first study that is done about the ocular surface and smoking, but I think the lipid layer changes are shown for the first time because of the developments maybe in technology since we didn't have a DR1 interferometry before. But then again, Schirmer 1 and breakup time also, are, these are also very important parameters to check the lipid layer because if the Schirmer 1 values are normal, but breakup time is abnormal, then the only parameter that is lacking here is the mucin layer, which can be showed by impression cytology. And then if this is also normal, then we can be sure that the problem is in the lipid layer. That's basically the question that I was going to ask next, which is that if we know that the aqueous production and the mucin layer are probably normal in smokers, then the effect that the non-uniform lipid layer is having is an early tear film breakup. Right. Now, do you think that the pathophysiology that's involved in choroidal neovascularization related to smoking has anything to do with the pathophysiology of the abnormalities that you're observing in the tear layer? Yes, I believe that the pathogenetic mechanism that lies in the choroidal neovascularization is kind of similar to the finding that we we obtained in our study, and that is mainly a lipid peroxidation process. And there are increased products of lipid peroxidation and also degradation products of extracellular matrix proteins, which is, you know, caused by exposure to smoking or by, you know, heavy smoking. And this accelerated lipid peroxidation increases tissue damage which is kind of the same thing in choroidal neovascularization. Now, short of recommending to our patients to stop smoking, what advice do you have for clinicians? I think for clinicians, the main idea from the study is that when we look at, look at people who complain of dry eye, I mean, this is such a huge spectrum. There are many reasons of dry eye, but 
if we ask the question of whether they're smoking or not, this may tell a lot of things. And if people smoke and their Schirmer 1 values and their breakup time, uh, if their Schirmer 1 values are normal and their breakup times are diminished, then we should suspect of a lipid layer damage and maybe our treatment protocols may change and we may try to improve the lipid layer. Although we do not have very good lipid treatments today, but there are many studies going on in improving our uh, lipid layer treatments. And there are some clinicians all over the world that use some ointments, which includes uh, lipid, to replace, you know, the lacking lipid. Or even some people change the dietary habits of people, you know, and this might be one of the ways to change our treatment protocols to the dry eye patients because mainly what we do is to improve tear film layer, I mean the aqueous layer of the precorneal tear film because we do not have very well uh, mucin or lipid uh, drops or ointments that are available today. So we're more able to treat the aqueous component of the tear film today. Therefore, this study might let the clinicians use another way of, you know, point of view maybe to such kind of patients. Dilek, what do you do in your own practice in this context? What I usually do is I start with, of course, getting a good questionnaire. I mean, I ask the patients what their complaints are really are, like, does blinking help you in your daily life? I mean, blinking is one of the questions that is, I think, very useful. If there is a lipid layer problem, usually blinking doesn't help. But if there is an aqueous layer problem, when these people blink their eyes, usually they feel better. Maybe this is related to little, you know, breaks in the precorneal tear film that is caused by the lipid layer and which makes the ocular surface more irritated when they blink. This is one of the questions that I like asking the people. And also, I ask them whether their complaints increase at the end of the day. And this usually shows that there is a problem in the aqueous layer because of the evaporative effect of the environment during their daily lives. And, of course, their systemic medications are important. And I then check their ocular surface using the biomicroscope. And my first test is a breakup time test because it's an overall grading of the ocular surface or overall evaluation of the ocular surface, which gives an idea about tear film integrity. And then I do a Schirmer 1 test without anesthesia to have an idea about their reflex production. And if their Schirmer 1 value is okay, and the, their breakup time is okay too, then I do not, you know, give an aggressive treatment. But I really have a very good experience by using punctal plugs. If there is a problem in their aqueous production, then punctal plugs really work very well. But if there is an associated inflammation on the ocular surface, then plugging the punctae is not a good idea. Maybe it's because of the cytokines that increase in the tear film because when we put the punctum plugs, then the cytokines do not move and they stay in the ocular surface in the precorneal tear film. And these people get more irritated 
according to my clinical experience. Therefore, if there is inflammation, I prefer treating the patient's inflammation first using by using steroids, usually low dose steroids, and they should be preservative free. Or some, you know, there are very popular uh, treatments nowadays like low dose cyclosporin. And sometimes even non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications are also used by some people, but I do not use them. My main treatment is preservative-free steroids. And then I usually plug these patients. I put the pumps and plugs. I prefer the temporary ones if I'm not sure about their reflex production. But if there's a severe dry eye, I usually use permanent punctal plugs. And if, you know, there's a problem in the mucin layer, then vitamin A ointment may be a good option. And if I suspect of a lipid layer problem, I sometimes add lipid ointments, like I'm sure in the States you have many other options, but I here usually use siloxan ophthalmic ointments, or sometimes I use a spray which has a lipid in it. It's made in Germany. I, I think you do not have it in the States. I, I do not think it's FDA approved. It's called Liponit. It's a spray that patients just use one puff about 15 to 20 centimeters away from their eyes. And this sometimes works, especially in the younger age group. So, I mean, in summary, this is how I approach these patients. Dilek, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you for calling. Dilek Dersen Altenors is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the Bashkent University in Ankara, Turkey. Her paper, Smoking Associated with Damage to the Lipid Layer of the Ocular Surface, appears in the June 2006 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Dersen or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.